0: You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning, church. Hope you are doing well this morning. We're excited um, excited about today. We're excited about every service, but especially excited about this fall as, uh, as people are settling back in from vacations and just the craziness that is summer. Um, and And the students are starting to trickle back in, and they'll be back here, a lot of them next week and then the following week, and we're excited about getting them back and just excited in general about what God is going to do this fall. We really believe that this is going to be an incredible few months of seeing God move in people's hearts. And so um, I'm asking you if you would be praying for for that, be praying with, with us and for us and uh, for this church as we move forward. And, and as we, um, continue to proclaim the gospel and continue to try to lead people into community through the connect groups and, and, uh, get people connected through serving and all of these different things, um, that, that are going on here that we see people really beginning to pursue God more than they ever have in their life. And so we're excited about that and excited about that opportunity to see that taking place. And, uh, we just believe big things are coming. Um, Today, we're going to continue our series called God Honestly. Um, This is where we've been going through the Psalms, looking at um, a lot of the relationships that the psalmists have with God and and really trying to come to an honest relationship with God ourselves and and, and being honest with him. Today, we're going to be in Psalm 51. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. Um, We'll do that in the back at our Next Steps table. We'd love to give you a Bible Um, so that you'll have God's Word to be able to read it. Now, if you'll put your finger there at Psalm 51, and then I'm going to ask you, if you would, to flip to the New Testament real quick, to Luke chapter 15. I actually want to begin there, but we're going to end up in Psalm 51 for the majority of the message. But Luke chapter 15, we're going to begin today by reading, starting there in verse 17. Now, let me tell you what's going on here before we start reading, so you'll know where we're at in Luke 15 Jesus talks about things that are lost one of those things that he talks about is called the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son this is about a son who runs away he asks his father for his inheritance early the father gives it to him he runs away to a far a far away land he he squanders all his money it says on um, wild living and then he ends up in such a bad place that he's wishing he could eat the 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 food that the pigs are eating um, with the farmer that he's working with, it's it's gotten so bad. He left his father, who was able to richly bless him and went on his own way. And then the Bible says, and this is where we're going to pick up is in verse 17. The Bible talks about him returning, about him coming back. It says in verse 17, it says, when he came to his senses, that's going to be huge. That's a huge thing because what we're witnessing here and what we're going to read about is an act of repentance. Repentance is a word that in church world and in the world in general has taken a negative connotation. It's one of these words that when you hear it, you sort of cringe, right? Um, because we typically have, have thought about pastors yelling at us, yelling at us to repent or signs on the side of the road that, so, you know, like turn or burn, you're going to hell kind of thing. Right. And so we get a little nervous when we start talking about repentance. But what I hope today you'll see is that repentance is a really good thing. It's a returning to God. It's turning from our sin and turning to God. And God is so patient with us that he gives us opportunity to repent. God did not have to give us that opportunity, but because of his grace and his compassion, his love for us, he gives us that opportunity to be able to turn back to him. So we're gonna see that repentance is a good thing. And the thing I want you to remember today, and I want you to walk out of here remembering, is that returning is the beginning of restoration. Returning is the beginning of restoration. Restoration. When we make a decision that we're going to return to God, God begins a restoration process immediately. And so the Bible says that when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And listen, but when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. It's a story of someone returning, returning from their sin and returning to God. That's what we're going to talk about today. If you will, let's pray and then we're going to jump in. Father, thank you so much for your heart for us. Holy Spirit, please come and do what only you can do. Change lives change hearts. God, use your word that is living and active to pierce our hearts. Even the hardest heart in here, God, we know that God, through the power of your spirit and the power of your word, you can break that heart and bring them to you. Would you lift their eyes up out of the sin, out of the mire, out of the muck, out of this world and put them on you, God? Would you do that now? Would you move in our lives and move in our hearts today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Many of you probably have your own prodigal story. I have my own runaway story. Um, I've shared it before, um, but but it's true. When I was about seven, I decided along with my cousin that we would run away. Um, We we were out on our own, and we were going to make tracks and get out of there. and uh, We went probably a mile or so through the woods, found a dirt road. Short of the long is, our dads end up driving up, finding us. We weren't as far away as we thought we were, and they take us home. Now, my, my, uh, my runaway story is a little different than the prodigal son. Because the prodigal son, um, he comes home, his dad sees him, runs, kisses him, hugs him. He gives him a robe, he gives him a ring, and he gives him shoes. All I got was a tail whipping, right? So my, my, my runaway story is a lot different than his. But when we look at this, Jesus is telling this story to illustrate how God is with us. He's telling the story so that we can begin to understand God's love for us. And what he wanted these people to see and what he wanted these people to understand is that, yes, you have sinned and you have wandered far from God. You've, you've gone your own way. But the good news is if you'll re- return, if you'll repent of your sin and turn away from your sin and turn back to God, God is there and will embrace you. He'll be there with you. He'll love you. He'll give you his, his unending love. He'll give you compassion. He'll clothe you. He'll He'll give you everything that you need. He still wants to provide for you as your father. And this is what Jesus is trying to get him to see. It's a parable, literally, of returning. It says that he came to his senses. It was a moment in his life when he thought, this is, this is crazy. The way I'm living is crazy. Why would I live this way when there's such a better way? And my prayer is today that we would see that, that many of us are chasing after things that are only bringing us harm or that only are going to bring us harm. And the reality of it is that what God wants us to see and what God wants us to do is come to our senses and realize that there's a better way that there's God's way, that we can do things his way and it's the best way. And I want to encourage you that no matter where you're at, and there's a lot of people in a lot of different places today, no matter where you're at, that returning is the beginning of restoration, that today if you'll take a step back towards God, God will meet you and God will begin a restoration process. You haven't gone so far that God can't restore you. To a reconciled relationship with him and begin to restore you to a reconciled relationship with others. You haven't gone so far that his arm is too short to save you and bring you out of what you're in. That's the good news of God today for you. And I want you to remember that as we go through this text. But we've got to see that returning is the beginning of restoration. Now, if you look over into Psalm 51, where this psalm comes in is that this psalm is a psalm of restoration. This psalm is a psalm of repentance. It's a psalm that that, that King David wrote, and he wrote it in a very dark time in his life. See, King David was a a great man after God's heart. God said that, right? But David did a lot of things that weren't right, too. Um, For one, when the Bible teaches us in 2 Samuel uh, 11 and 12, it talks about how David had an affair with Bathsheba, a woman, there in his kingdom. And when he had an affair with her, she became pregnant to try to cover it up. David went and had her husband come home from war when David should have been at war. He was at home. He, he brings this man back home out of the war and he says, go spend the night with your your wife. But the problem is he doesn't go and spend the night with his wife. He sleeps out with the other soldiers and he, he refuses to go. Home to his wife. And so David then comes up with a plot. He says, I'm going to send him out to battle. And he gives instructions to the, the head of the army to put him in the most dangerous place so that he'd be killed. And so David sets up his murder basically and he's killed. Then he marries Bathsheba. And so David is rocking along. He's covered his tracks, right? He's gotten away with this, it seems. But then God sends a, a prophet named Nathan. And Nathan comes to David. And basically what he does is he calls him out on his sin. And he says, look, you're wrong in this. And David recognizes that he comes to his senses and he begins to repent of his sin. And that's what we read about in Psalm 51. David wrote this in a very dark place in his life. He wrote this from a place of repentance and remorse and regret and a turning back to God. And so today, what I really want you to see and what I really want you to be able to grab hold to is this roadmap of repentance, this roadmap of returning to God. Because remember, returning begins the process of restoration, right? My heart is for you today that you would be restored to this relationship with God, that you'd be restored in in this reconciled relationship. And there's a lot of people in a lot of different places. And here's the thing, I really want you to listen to this because I think you'll find yourself in at least one place because here's the reality, we all have sin in our life. The first place I think people find themselves in is running. You're running from the consequences of sin. You're you're, you're hoping that it doesn't catch up to you. So you're running. Another place that people find themselves is in a place where they're reeling. They're reeling from sin because the consequences have caught them. And you're in a place where it's like a tailspin, where every, the world seems to be going crazy. I remember when I was little, I was probably eight or nine years old. My cousin and I, the same one I ran away with, we were troubled when we got together. Um, We decided we would steal my grandfather's um, tobacco. And so we went and got his tobacco. And I, I think my grandmother knew about this the whole time. I just think she knew that we were gonna get more than what we bargained for. And so we went and we got a big chew of his tobacco and we thought we were big and bad. And we went into the bedroom and shut the door and we thought, you know, we're big men now because we're chewing tobacco. And about 30 seconds later, the whole world was spinning. And I remember we lay down on the bed and we were green and we threw the tobacco out the window. And, and you know, and my grandmother had to know this because she just sticks her head in and says, how's it going, fellas? You know, something along those lines. So she had to know what was happening. I mean, I know we were green because we were sick at our stomach. But I remember it was like laying on that bed. It was like the whole world was spinning around in a circle. And there was nothing I could do to stop it. And I feel like for some people in here today, that's where you're at. Is that the consequences of sin have caught you. And the reality is that your world is spinning. Your world's going what feels like 100 miles an hour. I believe there are other people in here. You're not running and you're not reeling. You're pondering. You're pondering a sin. There's something that's approached you. There's somebody who's approached you. There's an opportunity. There's something there that's tempting you. And you're pondering sin. What I'm telling you is turn before it's too late. Turn around and go the other way. For some of us, we're in denial. And this is where some of us really need to wake up this morning. We're in denial of our sin. In one way, I think this happens to church people a lot. We think that we've kind of got it all cleaned up. But the reality of it is that you've got things you need to deal with too. I have things I need to deal with as well. So we can't come to a point where we're in denial thinking that we've got it all together because none of us ever get there. The reality of that is that some of us are in denial that our consequences will ever catch up to us, that that sin will ever catch up to us. The reality of it is that it will. And we need to understand that. But some of us are living in a place of denial some people are living in a place where you're drowning you're drowning under the weight and the guilt of sin of the guilt of sin and it's, it's it's killing you it's killing you it feels like it's eating away at your stomach it's eating away at your spirit it's eating your spiritual life your relationship with God and so you know today that man I'm drowning in this and some of you are just tired you're tired of toting that weight around You're tired of carrying it. I know in my own life, there's times when you just get tired of the weight of sin. You get tired of trying to carry it. And that's the good news about God is that when we return, when we repent, he takes that sin again and removes it from us. We're able to walk in his grace and walk in the power of his Holy Spirit. But where are you today in this? Where are you at? Because as we read Psalm 51, the the good news is going to come out the good news is going to hit us in the face. And if you're willing to admit your sin, if you're willing to admit your need for God, God is going to work in your heart and in your life because when we take a step to return, God meets us there. The Bible says in Psalm 51, this roadmap of repentance, says Psalm 51:1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your, Great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. When we are going to return to God, the first thing that we need to see and the thing that these verses talk about is that we need to see that returning to God requires us to trust in his mercy. It requires us to trust in his mercy. It's a place where David was, he looks at it and he goes, just have mercy on me, God. Lord, have mercy on me. Because he realizes that that's his only hope. See, when we come to true terms with our sin, that's what happens: is we realize that we deserve the judgment that God would give us, and so we come to this place where we say, "God, just have mercy on me. You're my only hope. God, is your mercy." He appeals to his great, unfailing love, his great compassion, and he even tells him, "Look, God, I know I need to be washed." In verse 2, I need to be cleansed. Two words that mean that I'm unclean. He recognizes that his sin has made him unclean. He recognizes that he needs help. He recognizes that if not for the mercy and the grace of God, he would be doomed. That he would be in a, a hopeless situation. But he appeals to God's mercy. He appeals to God's grace. See, typically our reaction to sin is different. Typically, we don't cast ourselves on his mercy. We do one of three things typically. Number one is that we take a flight. We we run. But instead of fleeing from our sin, what we flee from is the circumstances or the situation, trying to get away from it, trying to leave leave those circumstances or the consequences behind. So the first one is a flight. We try to take off. The second one is, many times, because we want to be good Christians, we want to be a good follower of God, we fight a losing battle. We fight a battle that we think we can win on our own. But the reality of it is, we cannot win it apart from the grace of God and apart from the power of his Holy Spirit working in us. It is a losing battle. It's a losing fight. And the last one is that we come to a place where we stop fighting altogether. And we just give control to the sin. And rather than surrendering to God, we surrender ourselves to the sin. We surrender ourselves to what the sin wants to do in our lives. And we just give in to that sin. And it's no longer a battle. It's no longer a fight. But what God would have us do is cast ourselves upon his mercy. Throw ourselves upon his mercy. See, trusting in God's mercy brings us to a place where we can begin to be restored by God. But if that's going to happen, it's going to be because God does it, not because we do it. Listen to verses three through five. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and have done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. That sentence can also read in another translation, you desire truth even in the inmost being. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Verses 3 through 5 is really about returning and how it requires us to own our sin. It requires us to own it. Realize that we're the ones who committed it. Realize that we've committed it against God. Realize that our sin nature goes very deep. So much so that he says I was sinful at birth and realizing that oftentimes we try to find ways of escaping our sin. One of those ways is through an exit. We try to find an exit that'll numb our heart and numb the pain that's been caused. So we turn to drugs, we turn to alcohol, we turn to sleep, we turn to sex, we turn to something that we think can numb the pain of our heart. What's crazy is that oftentimes to numb the pain that comes into our heart from sin, we turn to sin, which only compounds the problem and puts us in a downward spiral even worse. The good thing about God's mercy and casting ourselves on his mercy is this, that rather than running from God, we can turn to God and run to him. And that's what God desires for us. So sometimes we go to exits. Sometimes we go to rationalizations. Anybody good at rationalizing things? I know I'm awesome at rationalizing things. I can rationalize a hundred reasons to not go to the gym. Right? And I can rationalize a hundred reasons to eat a brownie. I'm good at that. I can rationalize anything. And sometimes we rationalize our sin trying to make it not what it is. We try to make it sound better than it is. But the reality for us is that sin is sin. But we try to rationalize it away. For some of us, a lot of times we begin to blame other people. Everybody good at blaming people. It was their fault. If I hadn't been with them, it wouldn't have happened. Satan made me do it. Anybody ever said that? The devil made me do it? No, he didn't. Your sin nature made you do it. That's what made you do it. And so we've got to own that. But we're good at blaming other people. Sometimes we just harden our hearts. We harden our hearts. But you need to understand when you begin to harden your heart so you don't feel the prick of God's conviction towards sin, what you're doing really is you're hardening your heart towards God. And that's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be when we begin to harden our hearts towards God. Another thing we try to do is cover our tracks. David thought he had his tracks covered, didn't he? With Bathsheba and with Uriah, he thought it was covered. But the reality of it is what we do in secret is going to be made public. At some point in time, we cannot outrun the consequences of our sin. It's going to catch up to us. And I'm telling you this not to scare you. I'm telling you this to hopefully bring you to your senses, hopefully to bring me to my senses where we turn back to God do what God wants us to do come to him through Christ where our sin is forgiven and be returning to him so that he can begin a process of restoration and reconciling us to himself bringing us back into this relationship sometimes with our sin we just ignore it but here's the reality sin doesn't have an expiration date it doesn't just disappear it's there the only way it disappears is when by faith we trust in Christ and we allow him to take it away from us. Then it disappears. Then it's gone. It's separated as far as the east is from the west, right? From us, separated from us forever. And that happens when we return to God, when we repent of that sin. He takes it away from us again and again and again because he is patient. He's patient. Verse six, he says, yet you desire faithfulness even in the womb. As I said before, that also can read, you desire truth even in my inmost being. He says, you taught me wisdom in that secret place. See, returning to God requires honesty with God. It requires us to get real honest. So we cast ourselves on his mercy, realizing that's our only hope. We come to a place where we um, own our sin and we recognize that it's mine. I've done this. And we come to then a place where we get real honest with God and say, God, here's the truth. Here's the truth, God. I'm bringing it to you. Here's the crazy thing. He already knows anyway. It's just a matter of us dropping our pride and coming to him and saying, God, I need your help in this. I need you in this, God. Would you work in this in my heart and in my life? Verse seven through nine. He says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Returning requires us to be cleansed by God. And that's the good news of this text, these verses. It's about a cleansing and a restoration That God does in our life. He says, cleanse me with hyssop. Hyssop was like a furry um, plant. It was something that they would use to either dip in blood and sprinkle it on the altar, or they would use it to dip in water. And they would take lepers, and they would sprinkle that clean water on these lepers. And it was symbolic of the fact that they were cleansed, that they were no longer unclean. And so what David's crying out is, God, I'm unclean. Would you cleanse me? But the thing I want you to see this morning is that this cleansing points to a greater cleansing. This cleansing points us to a cleansing that would take place hundreds of years later. This cleansing points to the cleansing of what Jesus would do The blood on that hyssop that they would sprinkle at the altar was was sacrificial blood from an animal. But what this points to is the sacrificial blood of Christ that would be shed on the cross for us. It points to the fact that Jesus went to the cross, took our sin upon himself so that we wouldn't have to bear the brunt of the judgment of that sin. He took the judgment for us. He died the death we should have died. He was put in a tomb and three days later he rose from the dead, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And then he ascended into heaven. And all of this he did, he did it for you. And at the cross, listen, at the cross, we see very clearly God's hatred of sin as his wrath was poured out on Jesus. But how amazing is our God that he was willing to give us Jesus, his son, give us himself to be punished for the wrath that we should have endured to take his hatred of sin out on him so that it wouldn't be taken out on us. It's the wisdom of God. There's no other way that God could punish sin and not punish us for eternity. It's the wisdom of God. It's the only way that God could do what was right or what was righteous and still not punish us forever not to separate us from him forever, was to take our sin and to put that punishment on one who had no sin. And so that's what God did through Jesus is he made a way for us to become his righteousness. Even though we in and of ourselves are not righteous and he's still willing to cleanse us. See, for the unbeliever, sin has separated you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, your sin has separated you from God. Your sin has separated you from God, and unless there's a time, and I'm just going to be completely honest, that you repent of your sin and turn to faith in Jesus, you will spend eternity separated from God. But the reality of it is also for believers that our sin breaks our fellowship with God. One of the reasons it does that is because our sin is, is a pursuit It's a turning away from God. It's a rebellion against God. It literally means to miss the mark. And what we miss is obedience to God's will. And so we begin to turn away from his will and we begin to go after him. It's a rebellion against him. It's a direction of life that we're living. That's why repentance means to turn. It means to turn back to, to turn back to God. And so we have to see that and be willing to do that. And it separates us because we're literally telling God, I'd rather have this than have you. The separation is simply God granting our wish that I'd rather have this than have you, God. I'd rather do it my way than do it your way, because I honestly believe my way is better than your way. And so we turn and go our own way but when we finally return we return and he begins to restore that relationship is restored and we're able to be in fellowship with him that's why for us as believers repentance is not a one time thing that happens at the moment of salvation it does happen at the moment of salvation when we turn from our sin and turn to Jesus in faith but it is a lifestyle it is a way of living that every day of our life we repent of our sin in fact you can tell the health of your relationship with God by how much you really are repenting of your sin because the clo- the closer you get to God, the more you begin to recognize the sin in your life. And so are you in a place where you're turning from that, where God's convicting you and you're turning from that sin? I have to ask myself the same question. Am I turning from that sin? Am I turning to God? Verses 10 through 12, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Returning to God requires a miracle. Returning to God requires, that's what these verses are talking about. It's the miracle of being created in God's image. That begins to happen once we're saved and continues to happen as we follow Jesus. And so when he says create, he's literally thinking in his mind, he's thinking back to the creation of the world and how God created everything and how miraculous that is. And what he's saying is, God, do this in me, do this in me, God, do a miracle in me, do something that only you can do in me. Transform my heart. Give me a new heart, a heart that desires you a heart that wants you, a heart that turns from what's displeasing to you, a heart that loves you. Give me this heart. He's crying out to God. He's saying, create in me this heart. He says, don't cast your presence from me. In other words, don't give up on me, God. Isn't it awesome to know that God doesn't give up on us? Isn't it awesome to know that he's still there? That if we'll begin to take the... The step of returning that he meets us where we are. That's what we see in the story of the prodigal. That he meets us. And David is saying, don't give up on me. I want you, God. I want you. And he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And when he's talking about this, I thought about two people, two different places that people are in. One of those places is someone who's never given their life to Christ and they've never come to faith in Jesus and they've never experienced the joy of salvation. I'm asking you this morning, have you ever experienced the joy of salvation, the joy of knowing your sin has been forgiven, the joy of knowing that you have a relationship with God, the joy of being in the presence of God? Have you ever experienced that? Because that is salvation, that is a part of salvation, is experiencing the joy of a relationship with God. That's how God works in our lives. He gives us joy. It's not just being happy all the time, just being giddy all the time. It's a joy, it's a contentment. It's a knowing. If you experience the joy of salvation, for other people, we're we're in a place where you're saved, but you lost that joy a long time ago. You can look at church people and tell a lot of times, they look like they just sucked on a lemon, right? And you can tell it. Like, where'd the joy go of salvation? I remember when I first got saved, everybody was like, well, six months, it'll wear off. I was like, why? Why? I have a relationship with an eternal God, the God of the universe. Why should I not have joy? Why should I not have contentment in my heart? Why does that have to end? It doesn't but have you lost the joy of your salvation? Have you lost that? Then today, return to God. We sang a song about surrender at the end of that worship part with the the music. My question to you is, is there something you need to surrender to him to come back into this place of joy? Then David goes in the next four verses, and it's really a what he's saying when this happens it's not as if David is saying if you do this God it's as if he's saying when this happens God this is what I'm going to do and he says this he says then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you in other words God when you restore me I'm going to tell everybody about it because it's a great miracle and we should be the same way listen people if you're in Christ then you are a sinner who's been restored to a relationship with God through the miracle of Jesus Christ it is a miracle every Every time we see somebody stand up or raise their hand to receive Christ, because what happens right there is they go from spiritual death to spiritual life. It's a miracle of God. And if that's you, then you have you've come into a place with a relationship with God that you should celebrate and that other people should know about because they see that in your life and because you tell them what God's done in your life. In other words, this sin and this life of sin that I used to live is going to become a testimony to the living God and what he's done in me. And so we have a testimony to tell and to share. Verse 14, he says, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are my God and Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. In other words, what he's saying is, God, when you remove my guilt, I'm going to worship you. As you take this guilt off of me, I'm going to worship you, God. Verse 15 is along the same lines. He says, open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. See, when we're walking in guilt and shame, it's hard to praise God. It's hard to walk into a worship service when you're living under the guilt and shame of sin. Raise your hands to God and to praise him. But the good news is today that if we are in Christ, That guilt has no place in our life. The condemnation has been removed. The shame, thinking that we are not just someone who did something bad, but thinking that we are something bad, is a lie. And we can come and worship the Lord as we return to him. See, here's the reality. If you lift up your eyes and put them on the Lord, you can't keep them on sin. It's one reason that God hates sin. Is because it takes our eyes off of Him and puts it on the world. But if we will lift up our eyes to Him, it will take our eyes off of sin. We cannot pursue and we cannot worship and we cannot praise God at the same time that we sin. It's an impossible thing because it's two different directions. Verse 16 He says, You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it, you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. The last thing he's really saying is when we return and we come back, he says basically this, I'm gonna worship you authentically. I'm not gonna just go through religious motions. I'm not just gonna do things just because it's the church thing to do. God, it's gonna be my honest heart. I'm bringing my honest heart to you, Lord. I'm bringing everything I have to you. I'm bringing all that I am to you. I'm laying all of this aside and I'm coming to you. And it's going to be true and it's going to be real. If there's one thing I despise and one thing that I see in the church all the time, the big C church, the universal church, is this, this whole thing of, of professing one thing, but really living like there's like something else. It's called hypocrisy. Don't settle for that. There's no joy in that. There's no peace in that. Why would we settle for that when we can have the real thing, when we can have God and a true and real relationship with him? And really, I'm calling you today to examine your life and to see where you're at. Does God have your heart? Has he ever had your heart? Are you worshiping him honestly? Do you have a broken and contrite spirit? In other words, I'm broken over my sin, but I'm joyful in your presence, God. Is that where you are? Is it in this place where my eyes are on you, Lord? If not, then today, this morning, we need to take care of that my encouragement is to you that if there's something in your life that is separating you or breaking fellowship with you from God, then let's deal with that. Because when we begin to return, God begins to restore. And he'll do that this morning in us if we simply will return to him. But you gotta be honest with yourself first. And then you've gotta be honest with God. You've gotta own it. And then you gotta be honest with him and you've gotta throw yourself on his mercy and say, God, I want you, I need you, I repent of this. I'm returning to you, Lord, giving my life to you. This morning, I hope that many of us will return. God's been convicting me of my own sin all week as I prepared this. I don't want you to think that I come out here and preach something to you that hasn't been preached to me already. I've had to deal with my own sin. And this morning I'm asking you to deal with yours. See, the trap of sin is it promises one thing and does another. The trap of sin is that it promised to give us life, but really it enslaves us and eventually destroys us. And my plea with you this morning is that we lay those things down, those things that are pulling us away from God. We turn away from them and we lift up our eyes and we put them on the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus. And so this is what we're going to do. I'm gonna give you first an opportunity that if you've never come into this relationship, you can have that, you've never repented of your sin, you've never given your life to Jesus by faith, you never turned to him for salvation, but you know that the Lord is drawing you to that today, give you an opportunity that you have to repent, to turn, to return, to come to him for the first time. This will be the day of salvation for you. So today is the day of salvation for you and you say, yeah, today I need God. I need Christ. I need Jesus. I need my sin to be lifted. I need it to be taken off of me. Today is a day of salvation for me. And this is what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to make that a public statement today and say, yes, that's me. And raise your hand, receiving Christ, saying, yes, that's me today. I need Jesus in my life. I need that forgiveness. And I want that relationship with God. If you're here today and you've never been saved, you've never given your life to Christ, but today's the day I'm asking you to raise your hand and say, here I am, God. The next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you that you be very serious about sin. See, we take it lightly often. God doesn't. God doesn't. So I'm asking you to be very real with yourself and with God this morning. And for some of you, I feel like God is going to prompt you that you want to come and spend time here at the altar. And that's an awesome thing. In fact, I encourage that. I encourage a step of faith saying, yeah, this is where I need to be. I need to be on my face. I need to throw myself on God's mercy. I need to return. And that's a tangible expression of what's going on inside. But my plea with you is to return. Whatever that looks like for you, I'm asking you to be obedient to God. If he prompts you to come here, then you come here and you take a tangible step of faith to express what you're doing on the inside. But my plea with you is to return to him, whatever it is that's hindering you, whatever it is that you're pondering, whatever it is that's that's holding you back, to leave that here. I'm gonna pray, Chase is gonna play, and I'm asking you to respond. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for repentance. Thank you that we can return, Lord. God, I pray that we would respond to you the way you lead us to respond. I pray, God, that we would take this as serious as you do, God. That we realize that you want to give us life in the place of death. That you want to save us, not just for heaven, but you want to save us, God, for eternity, for this life as well. The salvation begins at the moment we say yes to you. And so, God, I I pray that we would, we would simply return, come back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.